Lord Jesus, uh, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the instruction that you leave us, Lord. But most of all, Lord, I thank you for you and the sacrifice that you uh, did on the cross for us, Lord. I praise you for that. Lord, I thank you that when we come to you, you give us your Holy Spirit so that we can understand your word and we can hear what you're saying. So, Lord, I just pray that you would give us understanding, that you would help us as we go through your word. Uh, Lord, that we would prepare our hearts to receive your word and continue in worship as we receive your word. And then, Lord, not just as we receive it, but as we live it out. So we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. So um, we'll kind of touch on what we've been talking about. So if you remember, um, we were introduced in Joshua chapter 2 to someone named Rahab. Remember? Um, so Rahab didn't have the... Uh, actually, she had a reputation... Uh, because we know that uh, from God's word. She didn't have a reputation uh, for something that we would consider, you know, the greatest op occupation in the world. Uh, everybody knows her as Rahab the prostitute. If you have an older translation, it will be Rahab the harlot. All right. So that was Rahab. And uh, I, you know what? I didn't expect um, for myself. So something I try to do is when I'm studying, I want the Lord to speak to me too. I'm not just sitting there and say, ah, Lord, what do you want to say to these people? Um, I use it as a time for the Lord to speak into my own life. And um, I want to be faithful to, to do what we're all asked to do, which is when we hear God's word, to obey God's word, to hear what he's saying, to be encouraged or warned or to hear his promises. Uh, so I've been encouraged by the story of Rahab. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Because as you live this life for the Lord, there's a whole bunch of um, measuring sticks in this world, right? And everybody will come with their measuring stick and say, you know, like for pastors or even for you guys, when you're talking to another Christian, one measure, measuring stick that is used is, so how big is your church? Um, I don't know. You know, like... So sometimes they want to know the size of your church building. So I, I dash their hopes when I say we meet in an old defunct nightclub. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, well, okay. I'm like, you want to come visit? <laughs> right? And then they're like, how many people do you have? Right? Over the years, when I first showed up to Calvary Chapel, Birmingham, it was the smallest Calvary Chapel I had ever seen in my life. Okay? Like, listen, I'm from the East Coast, and those are small Calvary chapels, right? You want to see big Calvary chapels, you go to, like, Florida, or you go to somewhere warm, like California. Those, you'll see some big Calvary chapels over there, and you'll understand why it's such a big church, you know? Like, but then I remember going to this uh, Calvary chapel. It's called Calvary Chapel Fort Lauderdale. We were going to, my brothers and I were going to play a show there because we're also musicians, and we were driving there, and I remember how big this Calvary Chapel was. It is as big as a university campus, all right? I didn't know this. So then we're driving there, and we're using the sat-nav, and uh, I was like, yo, guys, we, we have to turn here, and we missed the entrance, and then there was another entrance with a big sign, and we drove past that one, and there was another entrance with a big sign, and I was like, are we in the right place? 
That's a very large church. We went in there. They have like a small aquarium <laughs> you know, for their school because they have their own Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, like school. And they had like restaurants. They were like, yeah, so when you play, you could come eat here, order whatever you want. I was like, can I live here? <laughs> like, this would be nice, you know? So, you know, every Calvary Chapel uh, on the outside may look different, but it's the inside that counts, right? We're all teaching God's word. Right? And that's, that's what we're, we're following after, what God has said. Um, but there's something that you find about Rahab, and it's something that we want to draw out, okay? Um, I don't just read God's word so that I can be morally good, all right? I read God's word because God loved me before I loved him. And I read his word because now I'm trying to love him back and see and follow what he told me to do. He laid down his life for me when I was his enemy. I don't know anybody else that would do that. And in fact, you probably won't meet anybody else that would do that. Where he says, listen, one friend may lay down their life for another friend. And he tells us the, you know, the scarcity of somebody laying down their life for a righteous person. I wasn't even righteous, and neither were you. How awesome is that, just to live in that truth? And, and why I'm encouraged by Rahab is this. As you come up to those measuring sticks, you know that you don't have to do any measuring, that as long as you are living in obedience to Christ, the Lord's doing the work. That's, that's the beauty of it. The Lord's doing the work. We're just moving in obedience, right? Rahab was like, I'm just going to be obedient. I'm going to hide these guys. And she says, the reason I hid you is like, this is my paraphrased version. The reason I hid you is because I know that your God is God over all and he wins, right? At the end of the day, that's why I live my life, right? I don't care what's going on out there. I mean, I do care because I want to live for Christ, but it doesn't shake me. It doesn't move me because God wins. Jesus Christ wins. That's what we're living in. So when, you know, when we're beaten, beaten and battered and, and being abused or whatever it is, or you see that this world is coming against Christ, Christ wins. Don't be scared. Don't live in fear. Live in hope. Just like Rahab, the king came knocking at her door. She wasn't scared. She put her life on the line for these spies. She wasn't scared. And why I'm encouraged by her is then we read her legacy. She didn't build her legacy, but we read in Matthew 1 her legacy. She is Boaz's mother. Only God can do that out of Rahab the harlot. She is King David's great-great-grandmother. Only God can do that. So sometimes we're busy trying to build our legacies, and the Lord's like, don't worry about it. You're in my house now. I make you into the great person that I want you to be. Just be about my business. Just be about what I've told you to be about. Love others. Love the Lord, first of all. Love your neighbor as yourself. Live in the truth of God's word. Amen?
So she hides them. She, um, she then declares or confesses her faith in God Almighty. You know, she says, listen, listen, guys, you don't know this, but listen, everybody is dead scared of you guys. We have heard how God dried up the Red Sea for you and you guys marched across on dry ground. That's, that's one of the first things we heard. We heard what you did to Egypt. We heard what the Lord allowed you to do. We heard that you laid waste to all of your enemies. And how strange that would sound out of a nation that only knew how to be slaves. Now, you guys um, might think, oh, Dave, that's not a very nice way to talk about them. They were slaves for hundreds of years. They knew how to be slaves because their daddy and their daddy's daddy taught them how to be slaves in Egypt. And they come out, the Lord brings them out and makes them into a nation. And he promised and kept his promise. He said, today I will make the nations begin to quake at the very sound of your name. Right? And then she tells them, listen, <laughs> verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Wow, that's a statement. That's a statement. So then she, she then takes this, like I said last week, she takes this information that she knows, and then she moves in that information. She moves in the truth of it. And she says, now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all their families. Now listen to how bold she is, right? I love that boldness. Not just like, let me live. No, she's like, um, since I've helped you, can you let me live? And, and, and my brothers and sisters? And my mom and dad? And um, who else? Oh, there's my, my auntie. Can you let her live too? You know, like, she's bold, right? We're told to be bold before the throne, right? To come in and to say, not to give our demands, but to know that we serve a good God that loves us. Right? That's why we can be bold. Like my children are fairly bold with me, not in a rude way, but they know that daddy and mommy love them. Right? So when we pass by, you know, the, um, what do you guys call it? Like an ice cream truck or the ice cream van? Yeah, yesterday we're walking by the ice cream van. They've got no problem saying, daddy, daddy, we want ice cream. Right? They know I'm not going to get mad. They know daddy's going to say, well, what time is it? It's right before dinner. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, um, so, so, you know, they know I check my pockets and everything because they know I want to love them and they're not scared to ask that. Now, I may say no, which yesterday it had to be a no because the guy didn't take card payments. <laughs> and, and I don't really carry that much cash. You know, at the end of the day, I am a New Yorker. I know you do get jumped. <laughs> so. What do you got on you? Nothing, man. <laughs> I ain't got a thing. So, you know, so when, when we go, we can boldly come. And she believes in the God who is supreme over all, right? 
over the heavens and the earth. And she says, since you are, their, are his servants, can, can you save me and my whole family, please? And this is what they say back to her. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. Now, these guys don't know how they're going to attack. They're just, they've just gone in to get some intel. They don't know how the attack's going to happen. They don't know if they're going to you know, lay siege to the walls and build siege ramps and go up and over. They don't know yet, right? I'm pretty sure Joshua uh, is just waiting on the Lord on how we're going to do this. The Lord will let them know. And as you know, if you know this story with the walls of Jericho, it wasn't a normal battle. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know, they march around the walls. That's what every army would do, right? right? Imagine Nebuchadnezzar marching around the walls. <laughs> what are you doing, Nebby? <laughs> like, yeah, everybody would start making fun of him. What are you doing, man? <laughs> and not only do they march around the wa walls, they're, they, they're going to sing to the Lord. Right? Sing praises. Imagine us, right? Going out there. They're like, yeah, man, I want you to take this whole city. And then we, we ride up to York and we start ma marching around York singing worship songs. <laughs> Everyone's like, bunch of wackos. <laughs> Don't do it unless the Lord tells you. <laughs> we offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety, the men agreed. If you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. So there's a guarantee on it, right? And the guarantee is that you continue to follow in good faith, right? You continue to follow in good faith. And, and like when you, when you think about it, when you look at it, you're like, that's a good agreement, right? Because what if she's like, yeah, 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 go ahead. And then all of a sudden she rats them out. And she starts playing both sides. Well, that's not in good faith, right? So they, they put that stipulation in there for her. If you continue in good faith, the guarantee is our own lives, all right? We'll take it upon ourselves to make sure that you and your family are safe. And if you think about, there's a lot of covenant promises in the Bible, right? You think about the covenant promise between Abraham and the Lord, the covenant promise between, um, you know, Jacob and Isaac and covenant promises that we read about, you know, the one with King David, where the Lord says the Messiah will come from your line. Like at the end of the day, there's only really uh, two people in the Bible that the Lord makes specific covenant promises with, and that's Abraham and David. So he says, Abraham, they're going to come from you. And then, you know, his children get that residual promise that he made to Abraham. But then he makes a specific promise to King David. And he says, King David, and these things aren't put on these men because they're perfect. Right? That's the question that we get all the time. Well, you know, God's perfect. And he, and he relied on these imperfect people. I'm like, that is good because that gives me hope. When was the last day you guys were perfect? Anybody? Raise your hand. Nobody? Good, because then you'd be a liar. Your imperfection would leave. <laughs> but we are not perfect. So that gives us hope, right? That Abraham failed at times in his faith. The faith faltered once in a while. But what's the Lord say? Hey, Abraham, I see you as faithful. 
Hey, David, I know you messed up a few times, but you ran back to me. So I counted his faithfulness, right? Because they, they came, they confessed before the Lord. We're told in, in 1 John that if we come and we confess our sins before the Lord, Jesus Christ is faithful to wash away all unrighteousness, right? That's a beautiful thing. That's awesome. I don't have to sit here with the regrets of everything I've ever done. And I can actually be made new. I can, I can cast all my cares on him. He can wipe it away. And I can continue to live for him. I can repent and walk his way. So, um, but I find that the covenant promise that I always uh, go back to is the new covenant promise, right? The one that we hold, that Jesus Christ uh, confirmed with his, with his body a sacrifice. He confirmed a promise to us that was sealed by his blood. You guys remember that one? It's called the gospel. <laughs> so Jesus Christ made this covenant promise. And it's, it's a different type of covenant when you look at it. It's more of the type of covenant between a higher power and a lower power. If you don't understand what I mean, it's like when you enter a, a, a mortgage agreement, right? You're not coming into a mortgage agreement as equals. You are not equal with the trillion dollar banks or the trillion pound banks. You come into this agreement as the higher power setting out all the stipulations to the agreement and you sign your name and you say that you're going to keep to the agreement, right? Do you guys understand that? Right? So God, the higher power, makes an agreement. And we look at the agreement and we say, yep, I'm with it. And his agreement through Jesus Christ is a very, very easy agreement. His agreement's like, listen, I did all the work. Just put your trust in what I've done and follow after me. That's it. That's all you have to do. Right? It's very simple until you start trying to live it. <laughs> but that's why he gives us the Holy Spirit, right? He gives us help in being obedient. He gives us help in following after him. He gives us help in reading his word so that we know how to live it, right? He gives us help to, in our faith. He bolsters our faith for us. He then gives us help as we follow in obedience. So let's keep reading. Then, since Rahab's house was built into the, the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Right? Then, when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by the oath we have taken only if you follow these instructions. So they're, they're kind of reiterating their agreement with her, but then they're telling her, listen, you need to listen to these instructions, right? When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. That's a beautiful picture of salvation, right? Right? Like, if you want to be saved, whose house do you need to be in? You need to be in the Lord's house. 
right? And we come into the family through the scarlet blood that was laid out for us, right? It, it reminds me of the Passover, the, the first Passover. What did they have to do? They had to be obedient to what was told to them. Hey, you got to take this Passover lamb. You're going to have a meal with it, but take the blood and put it on the doorposts and everybody stay inside. Everybody stay inside. Even if curiosity comes to get you and you want to peek outside when the angel of death is passing over, stay inside. Take it seriously, right? And it reminds me. It reminds me of what's told to me in Colossians that my life is hidden with Christ in God, right? So just like the blood of the Passover lamb on the doorposts in Egypt, so the angel of death would pass over everyone inside the house, as long as they stayed in the safe place, right? The hiding place. We're saved by putting our trust in Christ and believing the work that was done on the cross, staying in the safe place. So Colossians 3 verses 1 through 17, and I'll read this to you. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Now, it's, I've heard this saying before, and people have told me this saying, and they said, you can't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. And you're like, um, that sounds like stupidity to me. Like, like are you talking about just daydreaming all the time? Or, because I find that when we're actually heavenly minded, when we're thinking about eternal things, we actually make good choices, right? When I think about what will last and what will not last, I can make good choices. Sometimes, like, like this, like with my, my personal money, Man, there's sometimes something shows up and I really want that something, right? And I know I have a little money on the side and I think, hmm, I'm going to get me some something, right? Just an example, you know, put it, I'm going to get me a really nice car, right? Or whatever it is, right? And then you hear the, I, you hear the Holy Spirit say, slow down, slow down. What are we thinking about, Right? And it's okay. I'm not saying it's bad to have a nice car. I'm not saying it's bad to have nice things. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear me. Listen. But we have to allow the Lord to show us what is of eternal value. I mean, I, I'm friends with some people. They get a new car like every couple months. I'm not even kidding. No exaggeration. All right? I'm friends with a guy. I mean, my man's got like seven cars. And there's one car that constantly rotates. And that car could buy my house. You know, like buys a new car. And, and, and that car could buy, honestly, that car could buy my house and the neighbor's house. And I'm, hey, it's his money. The Lord has allowed him to go get it, right? But that, I pray, he's not, he's not a Christian. I pray he comes to faith. We've shared the faith with him multiple times over the years. But I think that the Lord could probably show him a better way. And I'm not saying it's bad to have seven cars. Hey, man, if the Lord gave you seven cars, then use it for all the Lord's glory. That's what I'm saying. Use it for the Lord's glory. 
So then when I, when I want my something, I go and check with my king of kings and my lord of lords. And I say, hey, do you want me to have this something? And if he says, yeah, go ahead. That's cool. But make sure you use it for my glory. Don't let the things you own own you. So then you could go get that something. Or he may say, just be patient. You don't need it right now. Because he has something else in mind. And then all of a sudden, let's say a couple weeks later, something comes into view and the Lord says, that's what I want you to use your money on. My money that I gave you. Right? And then I'm able to do that. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. Man, I would have been stuck with some stupid car. <laughs> Trying to sell it on Auto Trader. <laughs> you know? The Lord is good. He guides us. And he wants us to use our lives for eternal value. So then it says here, Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. So sometimes we have this view as Christians, as believers, and we look at the world and say, ooh, you're dirty. But we're reminded by Paul, you used to be the same. So don't judge. Minister. Tell them about the truth. In love. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, uh, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be ho the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Stay in Christ. Stay in the hiding place. Stay in Christ. You know, I think of uh, Psalm 32, verses 7 through 11. If you have your, your Bible this morning, you can flip there really quick. Now, you may see that I flip really quick to them. That's because I was studying and I bookmarked. So 
It's not that Dave's got like one of these fast trigger fingers with his Bible, you know? So I bookmark. I'm telling you all the secrets now. <laughs> Verses 7, for you, and this is, this is the psalmist talking to the Lord, for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy all you whose hearts are pure. And our hearts are made pure through Christ. So we can rejoice. And we can remember to stay hidden because he's our hiding place, right? Now, when I go out and I, I live in the flesh, I've come out of my hiding place. And it's not like the Lord doesn't love me anymore, but I'm going to get beat up. Not by the Lord, but by the things he protects me from. It's like, you know, in my, ha in my house, I have, um, you know, fences around my garden. Now, if, if my daughters were to climb over one of the fences, it'd be fine. They'd probably just fall into somebody's flowers or something like that. But then there is a fence that in the past, there's a big dog behind, right? So if they climb over that fence and fall on the other side of the big dog, I don't know what the big dog will do. The big dog may be like, oh, look at this cute little girl. Or the big dog may say, huh, lucky me, lunch. Right? So the Lord sets up boundaries for us because he's a good daddy. And he says, there's hungry dogs on the other side. Stay in the hiding place. Hmm? Stay within my boundaries. It's not because I can't save you. It's because I want to save you up from the troubles that will come when you choose your own route and jump over the fences. You understand? Yeah. So we stay in that hiding place. And, and just like this picture that we're given here, this picture of a New Testament truth, and they say to her, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging. So... It's a, it shows her faith. It proves her faith. She throws that scarlet cord out there and leaves it hanging. She doesn't know when they're coming. <laughs> could be a couple days. could be a month. She just leaves that scarlet, scarlet cord hanging out there to show her faith. Now, the other thing I want to nail down is this. The scarlet cord is not the one who saves her. You understand that? We need to understand that because it's not the scarlet cord that, you know, they're like, okay, and when trouble comes, take that scarlet cord out, and it's going to become a magical scarlet cord, and you just swing it around, and you become like Wonder Woman, and, you know, you get rid of all the bad guys. So, guys, sometimes we carry this Bible around like it's the magical scarlet cord, right? You're like, I ask people, hey, are you saved? I got a Bible. <laughs> Brother, try to present that at the gates. <laughs> But sometimes as Christians, we're like, yeah, yeah, I have my Bible, but have you read it? Are you reading it? Not just read it once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard people tell me, I know the Bible. Listen, I study the Bible all the time. I will never be able to say to you, I know the Bible. Because Jesus is always teaching. 
always teaching. There's one thing about God's school. As long as we're here on the earth, no one has graduated. We're still in class, and class is in session, and we are all learning. And the best way to learn is to hear his words, because they are living and active, searching us out, fixing us up like a good surgeon, getting rid of the things that we shouldn't have in there. Don't just hold your Bible. The Bible doesn't save you. The Bible tells you the way of salvation, and his name is Jesus Christ. I heard somebody say uh, just recently, oh, sometimes you guys get hung up on a person in Christianity, but it's about his message. And I'm like, mm, no, no, I'm sorry. His message means something because he is something, right? right? It's because he is God. He is divine. And, and some of us here have heard people, I've heard people say, well, I don't think Jesus Christ is God. He's not divine. He, he was just a good teacher. Like, well, um, if you listen to everything the good teacher said, if you don't believe he's God or equated with God and part of the triune God, um, then you're, he, he's also a crazy man because he said he's one with the Father. And then he also showed us attributes of Godhood, right? And then he let people worship him, and rightly so, because he's the one that saves. And I've told you this before, that when you cook it down, that our Savior needs to be divine. Because no person can save the world. There's not enough blood in the world to save anybody. There's just enough to pay the debts and we still go to hell. So like I've said before, that Jesus Christ has to be divine. He has to be God just because of the currency that the Bible tells us that needed to be paid. And I've said this before. And I'm sorry to reiterate myself, but Jesus Christ, that the currency needed to be human blood, pure human blood. So that means that the human that gave the blood had to be sinless and it had to be eternal, pure human blood. Anybody here fit that bill? Not me. I can't even die for somebody else because I failed the second uh, thing that was required, which is sinless pure. Only one that we know of lived sinless and pure, and his name was Jesus Christ. You've got to be God to do that. And the second thing is this. If he was just a normal human, his blood would only account for one person. So who's that one person that got saved? Because we're not, we didn't make the boat. But if he's divine, if he's an eternal being, it tells us that his sacrifice was good once and for all, for all of time. I only know one that could do that, and his name's God. Jesus Christ is divine. Let's keep moving. If they go, so he says, all of your family members, your father, mother, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go out into the street and are killed... It will not be our fault. If you're disobedient, it's not on me. 
But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we will accept the responsibility for their deaths. In fact, it's like they're saying, their life for our life. Right? That's pretty much what they're saying. If you betray us, however, we are not bound by this oath in any way. So, so they repeat the contract that they're making with her. And she says, I accept your terms. She replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet robe hanging from the window. The spies went up into the hill country and stayed there three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. Then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. And the Lord has given us the whole, the Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. Very different report from the 12 spies who had gone before them 40 years before, right? You remember? There were only two that came back, and that was Joshua and Caleb, and said, listen, if the Lord is pleased with us, these people sit over there as our prey. We are the predators with the Lord, right? That's what they pretty much say. The Lord has given us this land. It is good. These guys are right. Those grapes are as big as a man's head. Let's go get it. You know how many bottles of wine we can make? (laughs) (laughs) But there were 10 that said, no, we're but grasshoppers in their eyes. We can't do it. And you know what happens when doubt in the Lord comes out? Doubt gives birth to doubt and spreads throughout the camp. And they're just not listening to God's words. They're not listening to what the Lord said because the Lord is true, right? Joshua and Caleb were listening to what the Lord said. And because of their faith, the Lord rewarded them. And you know, there's something beautiful in that because it works the same way for us. That the Lord says, don't grow weary in doing good because in due time, you will reap a reward. And then we're told in another place that God is a rewarder of good. Listen, if you try to live a life uh, for the Lord, I'm going to tell you something. Bad times happen. But I'm going to tell you something else. If you live a life apart from the Lord, bad times happen, (laughs) right? The, the, The same principle happens. But it's only the Lord that says, These bad things will happen, but I will redeem them on your behalf. I will do good for you, right? I recount this story. I remember coming down here in 2019, and and it was flooded, and it's Sunday morning, and we're getting ready, and all I see is all of our equipment floating. And, you know, I just, all of a sudden, my flesh wanted to, oh, no, Right? And then I remember the Holy Spirit talking to me, and over and over in my mind just kept playing Romans 8:28. I will work all things together for good for those that love me and are called according to my purpose. And then a few months later, when the insurance company gave us the money to replace everything, we then had enough money to buy equipment 
that we knew or we didn't know we would need during the pandemic. And not only that, the Lord reminded me that about six months before I had prayed because we needed equipment and we didn't have enough money to buy it. And I said, Lord, can you please provide for the equipment? And then when that money came in, the Lord said, I heard your prayer. You had to swim a little bit, but I heard your prayer. <laughs> right? So then all of a sudden, everything comes to play, right? When the Lord talks to his children in Isaiah 43, and he says, when you walk through the waters, you will not be overtaken. He's there with us. When you walk through the fire, you won't even smell like burn. Guys, some things have happened in my life, right? Bad things. But if you talk to me today, you're not going to say to me, oh, wow, you seem like bad things have happened in your life, you know? Because I don't walk around with like a sourpuss face. Why? Because the Lord walked with me. And I came out of the fire. And now I know that when we walk through the fire, we don't, we don't get burned. That when we come out, we don't smell like, wow, you smell like you've been burned, right? He puts joy in our hearts. He helps us to forgive those that did things they didn't even understand. He helps us to, to grow in grace and mercy that when we see others grow, going through the troubles that we went through, we can share the comfort that the Lord has given us to them and we can run there and say, the Lord is with you. And then not only that, we don't only just aren't able to share words of comfort, we can give helping hands. We can learn that life is not just about us. We're only the, you know, the side role. It's about Jesus. That's a hard thing when we're living this life, right? Because we like, make, we like to make decisions based on me, based on how I like it or what I want, or what would I want out of life? And the Lord's like, learn to be second place, and I'll fill you with more joy than you've ever seen in your life. Learn to serve others, not just to serve others, but because you love Jesus. And I've told you guys this before, but this was taught to me when I was younger. And a wise woman told me, Dave, if you want to go serve people, you can't go serve people because you love them. It's got to be something bigger that drives you. Got to be something bigger. And I'm like, huh? She said, you need to serve people and love them because you love Jesus. That's the eternal fuel. Because sometimes when you go to serve people, it doesn't feel as good as you had thought it would. Or sometimes you serve people and they bite you. And you're like, well, I'm not serving you again. Right? Or you go to give to the children and they steal. And after a little while, you get sick and tired of serving these people. I thought I loved you. But if you go in there to serve the people and the Lord grows your love for them and it's being grown because you love Jesus, it'll never run out. You're there, but you're not there for the people. You're there for Jesus. And Jesus continues to give you the strength and the eternal love that you need, right? In the United States, we call it agape. I know you guys call it agape. 
Good. Reading out of my little translation book. This eternal love to love others. And it's the Lord that fills us up. He does that for us. So we see this. She puts that scarlet rope out. Remember, she's not saved by the scarlet rope. She is showing her faith in the one who saves. The same way we do. When we listen to this word, we're showing our faith to the one who saves. And true faith gives birth to true obedience. Not just like this type of obedience that you're just like, right? The Lord, the Lord loves a, a cheerful giver. Not somebody that just gives begrudgingly. All right, I'll follow after you. Remember, there's a whole story about it. We call it the story of the prodigal son. And I'm not talking about the prodigal son. I'm talking about his older brother who was at home with his father. You guys remember that part of the story where the prodigal son comes home. The father is overjoyed because his son, who was as good as dead, is now back. And he's celebrating and killed that fat, kill that fattened calf. Let's have a party. My son is back. And then the older brother says, you never killed a fattened calf for me. I've been here the whole time working. You know, begrudgingly just helping. <laughs> and turn around as the dad and be like, you're as good as dead. Okay, anyway, let's party. <laughs> you know? No, but honestly, is that the way we serve the Lord? You may fit that bill. You may fit that, that thing. That you have been faithful. You stayed You've been begrudgingly faithful. All right, Lord, I'll serve you. That's not true obedience, right? True obedience is saying, hey, Lord, I'm grateful for everything you've done for me. You take care of me. What is it that you want? I'll do it all. I'll do as much as I can, as I can humanly do. I'm here for you. I will serve you. So she... She throws that, that scarlet rope out, and that just proved that she believed God and that God was God overall. And it was a sign to the Israelite army that that woman that believes and that helped us is in that place. Don't kill her or anybody in that house. Don't touch them, right? Just like that, that blood on the doorposts that the Israelites put up there. That angel of death passed over and he knew, those people believe me. Those people believe me. Would the rope have been helpful if she was like, mm, I don't really want to get this rope wet. So like when it rains, I'm going to take it in. You know what? It's safer inside. So I'll just wind it up. I'll put it under my pillow and it's good. I mean, I still have the scarlet rope, right? That's like how some of us live our faith. We're like, well, this Bible's leather is really nice. So I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to like, hurt the binding and stuff. So I'm just going to leave it on the side. I won't read it because it's very important to me. And I'll just leave it on the side, right? Or like people that walk around with a cross. Hey, a cross is cool. As long as you're living up to the one who died on the cross. As long as your faith is put in the one who died on that cross. Man, I used to go to school with lots of kids that had crosses, right? They didn't even know who Jesus was. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you have a cross. That's cool. Now, if you're wearing a cross today, I'm not trying to shame you. What I'm saying is your faith is real, right? You know you're not presenting that cross at the gates of heaven. 
Well, Lord, I wore this cross. Our faith isn't in the object. It's in the one who saves. And his name is Jesus. And the translation of Jesus is God Almighty saves. Right? That's what, that's what his name is for us. And that's what it means. Jehovah has become salvation. That's cool. That's a cool name. And I'm glad that my, my faith is put in that name and the one who bears that name, Jesus the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for your word. Lord, that we would follow in obedience like Rahab. Lord, that we would say, hey, it's not put on who I am, what I've done, who I've been born to. It's put to the one who has allowed me to be born again. Lord, we love you. Give us the strength to live out this life for you according to your word. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.